awesome. Yeah. Missoula hasn't been able to shake me yet. They've tried. Uh, it's not well, the easiest place to make it. You got to get creative. It seems like here to stay. So let's close with a, uh, a Dram Shop toast over the mic. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks a lot, Zach. Yeah. Cheers. Hello and welcome to A New Angle. I'm your host, Justin Angle, Associate Professor of Marketing at the University of Montana College of Business. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around Missoula, Montana. We're interested in creativity and hustle, and the people we'll speak with here exude both of those in spades. Buckle up and let's go. Welcome back to A New Angle. Thanks for tuning in today. Today's interview was fun. It was an on-location interview with Zach Millar, the owner and founder of The Dram Shop. And you'd have to be living under a rock if you hadn't heard of The Dram Shop. They, those guys have been just killing it here in Missoula. I go in there and it's a great place to go for meetings, for place to unwind with friends, to catch up, rendezvous. The only challenge is just finding a place to sit. Anyway, the Dram Shop has its third anniversary coming up on Saturday, April 7th. And it's going to be a fun event going on from noon to midnight, $2 IPAs all day long, music from 9 to midnight, and food from Big Thai Country from 3 to 9. They're also going to be doing giveaways all day long. So check out the anniversary party at the Dram on Saturday, April 7th. All right, and so in the spirit of giveaways, we're going to do our first giveaway here on the podcast. Dram Shop has generously stepped up with the donation of a growler and a gift card to the podcast. And so what we're going to do is for the first 100 of you who rate, review, and share the podcast will be entered into a drawing, and we're going to draw names for these two gifts, and those names will be announced on the podcast on April 13th. So uh, yeah, rate, review, share, and... Uh, Put yourself in the hat for a chance to win a cool growler and some uh, some free beverage at the Dram. All right, so we'll turn it over to the interview with Zach. Bear with us on the sound quality. As I mentioned, it was a live interview, so um, there's some challenges there. We get some little you know air filtration system noise there. I think at one point the keg delivery guy pops in, and then Elizabeth, the wine uh, wine expert at the Dram, makes a cameo as well. Not to mention Zach's two pups. So a lot going on in this episode, but I think the content's really fun. And I think you'll enjoy the listen, and I enjoyed the conversation. So without any further ado, I give you Zach Millar. So we're here with Zach Millar, owner and founder of The Dram Shop. Zach, thanks for coming on the podcast. You bet. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're also here with uh, Lily and Leroy, the two, uh, I don't know if we call them shop dogs or not, but they're currently here. We like to call them shop dogs, but they can't hang out as much as they used to. Yeah, there's probably something about health code or something. Something like that. Yeah. But anyway, they're here now. Uh, and this is, uh, you know, the pod is, is on location here. And I can't think of a better location than Dram Shop, although... At 10 o'clock, it's probably too early for a beer. However, Zach has generously poured us a couple of kombuchas, so thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Good way to start the day. Yeah, so the Dram Shop has kind of become 
the place in town, at least as far as, you know, my circle of friends go. And uh, it's kind of a neat story. I like Zach to tell it more than I would, but um, maybe start off with how this idea came to be and, and why Missoula, why now? Well, why sure. Here? <laughs> well, um, you know, it's kind of a long story, I guess, but I went to the UM uh, for creative writing. Mm-hmm. And um, afterwards, I began playing a lot of music while I was in college. And then afterwards, I ended up playing with a band for several years. We toured nationally, and that was a lot of fun. Traveled around a lot. And then. What was um, the name of the band? Cold Mountain Rhythm Band was the name Cold of the Mountain band. Rhythm Band. Yeah, like back in the day. Uh, but, you know, like bands do, they, the band broke up. And I was like, man, I need a job, you know? Hang out in my girlfriend's apartment all the time. And right. So somebody told me, hey, you know, they're hiring at the Big Sky Brewing Tap Room. You should go check it out. And I was like, that sounds great. I like beer. And they hired me for no good reason at all. And uh, I ended up working for them for 11 and a half years. Okay. So I was in the beer industry for quite a while before considering opening the shop. Yeah. What better place to learn? about beer industry, but also the microbrewing space and Big Sky. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, they're a great company, and uh, I learned a ton while I was there, obviously. Um, starting out pouring beers in the tap room, I did uh, numerous different jobs there. So I got to learn a lot about whole brewing process and the process of running a business like that, and then spent the last probably six or seven years as distribution coordinator. Okay. So working with distributors, uh, you know, I think we were in 26 states. So working with distributors all over, uh, taking care of their orders and uh, production forecasting and that kind of stuff. Now, when you started at Big Sky, were they distributing across state lines at that point already? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were. Although the time I was there, I mean, I would guess when, we, when I first started working there, we were probably in like six or eight states. Right. You know, and then... Uh, we would gradually open up new states, you know, we'd try to pick off a couple a year, two, sure. three, something like that. That's, you know, and I don't, I don't know, the, I don't know the, the legal and regulatory ramifications, but it sounds like for, there, there's like a threshold you have to cross producing beer in the state of Montana before you can distribute across state lines. Is that right? Well, um, there's no legal threshold, uh, but Business-wise, there is. Okay. Um, you know, last year they changed some of the rules regarding um, brewery on-premise sales, which means being able to sell pints in the tap room, uh, which sort of changes the game. But up until that point, uh, there was a threshold, of, a production threshold of 10,000 barrels. Okay. Barrel is 32 gallons of beer, mm-hmm. right? So... If you're producing less than that, you're able to operate as a tap room that sells three pints per day, 48 ounces. Some places do four, 12 ounces. Some places do three, six ounces. Sure. Uh, so that's a lot of revenue, right? Uh, annually for a small brewery, it's basically just it's a lot of cash coming in. Right. Um, and so once you get past that 10,000 barrel mark, you couldn't do that business anymore. Then you're moving into wholesale only, mm-hmm. right? So... There's a growth problem because smaller breweries start out and they operate as a tap room and they sell maybe in the state of Montana, maybe a little bit somewhere else, staying underneath that cap of 10,000 barrels. 
and also continuing to get the revenue from their taproom sales. Okay. Right. So for a lot of breweries to make the leap from under 10,000 barrels with the revenue from taproom sales to over 10,000 barrels and give up that revenue just didn't pencil or people didn't want to take on the investment right. and make that huge leap to do it. Mm-hmm. So when I got to Big Sky, they were already over that threshold. Right, right. You know, they're by far and away the biggest brewery in the state. Mm-hmm. So it was that wasn't uh, an issue, but for smaller breweries who want to start distributing elsewhere, it, it's a major issue. Now, they just raised that cap, I believe, from 10,000 barrels to 60,000 barrels in okay, well, the last legislature. Yeah. So I forget the name of the or the number of the bill. So really, that the only brewery that affected was Big Sky. Mm-hmm. Um, I would assume they're already over that sixty or. They're still under six. They're oh, still yeah, under okay. sixty, and that's yeah, that's yeah. kind of why they put it because those guys have been between forty-five and fifty thousand per year. Yeah, I got for it. a few years now. So there's a you yeah. know, a little headroom for them there, right? But they so they've op- you know they they changed their taproom setup and are able to sell pints now, and nice. which is great because they can realize the same revenue that other breweries do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, you know, there's other breweries in the state that are already had workarounds by creating several different businesses, right. Kettle House, Red Lodge, I think Lewis and Clark. You know, they split a taproom and a production facility, and then the taproom operates like we do with an on-premise license. Sure. And then the brewery operates just like a under-brewery license. Yeah, so let's get let's get to, to Dram. So you're at Big Sky 11 and a half years, I think you said. Yeah. And then... Um, was Dram next, or you know, what was what was the? Yeah, it, it was for me. I was ready for something new. I was there for quite a while, mm-hmm. and um, I was ready for a new adventure and to take some risks, <laughs> you yeah. know. And um, was seeing some businesses similar to the shop um, on the West Coast, and you know, Ben and lots of other places. They're starting to pop up, and I thought, what a great idea! You know, here's a place where you can go not only try a bunch of different beers and whatnot, but you can take whatever you want home with you. Sure. So, um, yeah, so we decided to give it a shot. And as I got down the road in the planning process, I realized that Montana state laws are different than state laws elsewhere where I'd seen similar businesses. Okay. So we had to sort of mold and form our business plan to fit with Montana state laws. So, were you, so you initially modeled this after a couple of places you, you visited, you'd seen some best practices, got the idea, and so then you got to adapt to local law, local conditions. And at some point, you engaged with the folks over at the Blackstone Launchpad to maybe help with this idea. So, for listeners that don't know, Blackstone Launchpad is a is basically a team on campus that helps entrepreneurs bring ideas to life whatever stage of the process they're in. Yeah. So what stage did you engage? I was, um, I'd been working on the business plan for a while. Um, and first I should just say, uh, the Launchpad, I heard about Launchpad through um, my wife and some other folks in town in the startup community. Okay. And it was just recommended, like, hey, you should go talk to these guys. Yeah. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an alum, so it's free for me to go use right. the resources. Right, facility available to alums, faculty, staff, yeah. students, et cetera. Yeah. So yeah. anybody with a UM affiliation, it's totally free. You can visit as often as you want. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I decided to, and I, for me personally and where I was, I had a pretty good idea of, um, the model 
and a pretty good idea of the market position. And uh, I had a sense of financially what it was going to take, but I needed help uh, with getting all of that down in a way that would be clear. You know, I didn't understand how the financial process would work okay. because I was new to it. I'd never done it before. Yeah. Uh, so the launch pad was instrumental in helping me get those numbers down in a way that I could take them to a banker and they would look at them and be like, yep, that makes sense. Yep, it'll work, you know, or not. Right, right. But luckily they said it would work. <laughs> but it was, you know, and so there was uh, a lot of back and forth you know, I would go and meet with them, and then they say, "Okay, well, you know, these here's what you need to do." And so I'd go back and you know, stay up late and work, and then I'd go back and be like, "Okay, you know, they helped sort of coach me through the process." Sure, yeah. which was totally priceless. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's so easy to get turned down by a bank. You know, like yeah, particularly I mean, even five six years ago, when you're probably in this process. Things are still pretty tight. Yeah, things are still tight. And and, uh, I'm sure this sort of general category, people are pretty skeptical, or at least lenders are. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that restaurants and gyms are the the hardest thing to get get, uh, funding for. This is really restaurant. Right. Well, and I think for us, luckily, we also, we like sort of, you know, straddle the line between the restaurant bar world and the brewery world. Yeah. And, you know, luckily people are really bullish on breweries. Yeah, in this town. Today. Like, yeah. yeah. And in a lot of towns. Yeah. I mean, it's a strong sector. Um, so that was helpful, you know, I think. Uh, you know, and um, I should say that, you know, the launch pad, it introduced me to a lot of other folks who helped me. You know, it wasn't just going to them for help. They introduced me to accounts and lawyers sure. and several bankers. All of whom were willing to help me for free. Yeah, so that network seems yeah. like valuable in that sense. So yep. this time when you're laying the groundwork, getting your plans together, etc., penciling it out, are you still at Big Sky? Is this sort of a labor of love after the kids are to bed or whatever stage you're at? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I worked on it for quite a while while I was still at Big Sky. Yeah. yeah. I had to. Uh, for sure. You know, I got to pay the bills. Absolutely. <laughs> so, and then whenever we were finally had um, our license ready to go and our finances ready and um, our lease ready, then I then I finally was able to quit and focus on this. And I, I think I had about a it was just between six and eight months. Okay. Before we opened, yeah, where I, where this was all I was doing was getting going on, going on this all day, every day, and then some. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so, can you talk a little bit about the process of, of getting the, the license here in Montana? Yeah, so, from what I've heard, it's a little bit of horse trading and everything else. Yeah, it's a it's a little bit wild west. Yeah, still, um, the simplest way to explain the so. It's uh, the simplest way to what we'll call it is on-premise licensing, and okay. so what that means for folks is uh, that that's a license where you can come in and I can pour you a beer and you buy it from me and you sit down in the same place where you purchased it and drink it. Yeah. Okay. There's also off-premise licensing, 
which is what you need to sell six packs to yeah, go so you're like right a store. Yep, you're like yeah, if yeah. you're a quickie mart or a grocery store or whatever, you need an off-premise license. Yeah. Okay. Off-premise licenses are a dime a dozen. Yes. You just send a little tiny check to the state, and they send you your little thing. They come and check you out, make sure you're good to go. On-premise licensing is a whole nother ball of wax. Uh, there are several different kinds. There's an all-beverage license, which means you can sell all kinds of alcohol. There's a beer license, which means you can just sell beer, there, and then there's beer wine. And then uh, on-premise licenses also can have gambling attached. So for instance, if you want to have a casino, you need to have an on-premise license with gambling attached to it. Okay. Right. So, but just because you have gambling attached doesn't mean you have to use it, sure. right? Yeah. So, anyway, for the record, we don't have gambling here at the shop. <laughs> uh, but um, so these on-premise licenses are limited by a quota system. So there are only so many available, uh, and they are quoted out by jurisdiction, right? So by cities and by counties. Okay. So, for instance, for the city of Missoula. Plus a seven-mile bubble outside of city limits. There are only so many on-premise beer wine licenses available. Okay, is that an that's what we number, have. or is that just fixed? So it's fixed, except every four years when they do the census, uh, they can take licenses that are being unused in communities that are shrinking and move them to communities that are growing. And sure. on occasion, if there's a lot of growth, they'll issue new licenses. Right, Sounds but like gerrymandering of uh, liquor oh, licenses. Oh boy! And if they are issuing new licenses, they just changed this like two months ago. But if they are issuing new licenses in a, in a jurisdiction, uh, it's a lottery system. Okay. So you would put your name in the lottery. If they draw your name, you have to you know you get the license for a very small percentage of what it costs on the open market. You have to use it like within a year or something. Okay. But it's basically, I mean, you're you're literally winning the lottery because they're yeah. expensive. So if you don't win the lottery and you want to open a business like this or like a, a you know a normal bar or whatever, you need to find a license that is for sale on the open market. Okay. You need to go negotiate with the person who's selling it on terms, right? And and then you purchase it. Um, there, it's it's much like a real estate transaction. Yeah. You know? um, there are not that many available. They're hard to find. In most situations, the person who's selling it has the line share of the negotiating power. It seems like there's right. probably brokers that... Yeah, I mean... Yes. In the middle. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, it's a difficult process. Um, there are a lot of people who have ideas about ways to improve the system. Sure. The, there's an issue where there's so much capital and futures tied up in the value of the of the licenses that changing it will be very difficult. Yeah, because people have you know it's part of the way you value a, a business a going concern. Absolutely, and yeah. those businesses have transacted and based right. on that value. So, I guess to get to the point, lottery winner or did you buy? No, no, no. Market? We found one on the open market, and that was actually. One of the things that helped us move our process along, for sure, because yeah, yeah. I was like kind of working on the project, and then I had feelers out for available licenses, and then one came up, 
and we were like, whoa, yeah. we need to hop on this. Act now. So, like, the wheels were, like, turning And so fast. how did that work with your financing arrangement? I mean, because you can't, yeah. you can't really predict when that license comes up, but you got to... You, you have a whole horse yeah. cart issue. Right. Right. So, and for us, it's a, it was a three-legged stool. Um, I think, and as it would be for anybody who doesn't have a lot of uh, capital unrestricted capital available yeah because we had to you can't you can't purchase a license or present a buy sell on a license without um, an associated property so you need to either have a deed or you need to have um, a lease signed yeah, yeah. before you can it's not a horse before you problem. Can, it's like a driver horse and cart problem well yeah and then so if you're a person who doesn't have a ton of like free capital, yeah, you also have to have your financing lined up. Okay. Right? So you have to have like financing lined up at the same time that the lease is lined up at the same time that the deal on the license is lined up. Sure. Right? And if you're like us, you get down where there's like a few weeks of squeak time and like you gotta put up a bunch of money that you wow. can't afford to lose. Wow. You know, and be like Yeah. Hope this works. Not without stress, yeah. I imagine. And it was fun. Couple little kids at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. But it came through. But it came through. Yeah, we were able to pull it off. And then was it like a sprint to open at that point? Or, I mean, because the moment you walk into the Dram Shot, you you just can immediately tell this place was put together with great care and thought. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah. And I mean, obviously, you, you come from an artistic background, so that's probably a big part of it. But the shop is beautiful. How did the timing work from the point you got the license to? I mean, we got to we got to open soon to get yeah. revenue coming in the door, right? So we had, um, you know, a timeline. Yeah, one of the many many spreadsheets. <laughs> and I, you know, I had built into our financing, you know, that I could pay myself during okay. that whole six or eight month period. Yeah, yeah. But it was definitely go time. We'd been working. We were lucky enough to work with. My brother-in-law, who's an architect on the design for okay. the shop, yep, um, which was it's as it's as much him as anybody else, mm-hmm. uh, and his aesthetic and uh, his cap- his ability to sort of parse out what it is you really want to do and what's going to work the best. So, I can take very little credit <laughs> for the way that. The shop works, but we it was great because we were able to work together in a collaborative way as a team sure. to come out with what we feel like is a is a nice end that you know we wanted a place that would be comfortable, but that would be clean, you know, and and um, we wanted a place where everybody would feel comfortable, you know, not just certain people. Sure. And um, yeah, so. It was a, it was a really fun process. It was a ton of work, but um, you know, it's it's a creation process. That's like fun. Yeah, you know? yeah. You get to like come up with an idea and then like design it and create it and do it, like bring it to fruition as best you can. You know, with so, the resources you have. Yeah. So, what was the moment where I'm really interested in the moment at which you sort of realized that this is happening? Like it's it's not just yeah. Late at night, working on spreadsheets, meetings with Paul Gladen and the Launchpad. It's it's yeah. actually wow. The doors are open, and 
Yeah, I mean, it kind of comes in stages, you know? Yeah. Like, the first one is, like, money starts moving around and you start signing documents, right? right? right. That's, like, then you're, like, this is happening whether I like it or not yes. at this point. Or something is going to happen that is going to be big. <laughs> Hopefully it's, like, you know, what we intend. And, and yeah, that's that was, like, okay, time to really work harder than we've been working, <laughs> you know, and get after it mm-hmm. as best we can. Um, and then, yeah. Everything from that point forward has just been, I don't know, it's been fun. Yeah, execution. Execution, yeah. You guys do that well. Yeah. One of the things about that execution piece that I'm interested in is you can occupy this unique space as both a collaborator with not only all of the great um, breweries in and around Missoula, beyond, I guess, but also a competitor in the sense that a lot of these places have their own tasting rooms and such. And so how do you view that relationship role with regard to those other other entities? Yeah, it's... On the face of it, you'd think it would be kind of fraught or complicated. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we are in direct competition, so to speak. Um and, you know, we're also customers mm-hmm. of local breweries. Yeah. Um, Important customer, yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're also, you know, partners. Mm-hmm. We're a place for them to showcase their products. Probably, um, yeah, really important initial touch point for a lot of customers with either a brewery in general or one of their varieties. Right, absolutely. And actually... You know, so that was one of the things, and I'll get back to that, but sure. I just like to interject. That was one of the things that I felt really excited about with this business was just that it's, the model is new and different and didn't exist in the marketplace before. So you kind of have a chance to define it and not make the rules for it, but like kind of navigate, navigate what it's going to be. And that's kind of fun because you don't have this same kind of uh, constrictions that, you know, like you said, all right, you're going to open a gym. Like, well, everybody knows, you know, what a gym, there are some different, you know, now there are some different models for that sort of thing. But this one I felt like was pretty unique. Um, So anyway, um, to get back to sort of the competition partnership thing, um, one of the great things about the uh, brewing industry and I think the cider making industry and um, I, I'm not going to say the wine industry because I don't know it as well. Our awesome manager, Elizabeth, is our wine person. Um, is that it's a, to date has been a collaborative atmosphere, even among competitors. And that may be changing a little as the growth continues to boom and there's so much money coming into the brewing industry now, but um, it's a unique industry where you get to, where you get to compete with friends at the same time that you're collaborating with them. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know how many other industries there are where like you run out of something and you call your competitor a mile and a half away and you're like, Hey man, can I borrow a 50 crown, a 50 pound bag of grain? Right. You know? And they're like, Oh yeah, dude, come on over and grab it. Yeah. 
we'll order it for you next time if you want. You can just pick it up from us or whatever, you know? Yeah. So do you think that's something about the industry or this Missoula community? Uh, I think it's both. Yeah. I mean, I think Missoula in general is a, is a great community that way, but I know that it's not just here. I think it's, I think overall it's more a tribute to the kind of people who get involved with the industry. Interesting. Because most folks who want to get involved in the craft brewing industry are folks that want to do something different. Yeah. You know, they're like, I don't want to be a lawyer, man. You know, Mm -hmm. I I don't want to like, I want to do something cool, something that I'm passionate about, you know, and not that there aren't people out there who are passionate about law, but um, for a lot of folks, I'm laid back, you know, I'm not in this, I'm not in this to make a million bucks, Uh you know, I'm in it because I want to have a lifestyle that I enjoy. I'm in it because I want to make people happy. I'm in it because I want to do something I'm passionate about. And so I think those types of people being in the industry sort of makes the industry less doggy dog. It makes people want to help each other out. And I think it makes people stoked on each other's products. You know, I mean, the, the, one of the latest fads in the craft brew world is collaborations, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you industry leaders, like, you know, look at Sierra Nevada. They've been doing the past few years this beer camp across America. Mm-hmm. You know, they invite brewers from all over the country to come to their place in Chico. They develop recipes together. They brew the beer. They put it out and then they select the best ones. They put it out in a 12 pack, you know, and sell it. And th- these are recipes, you know, developed by like, there's 25 different breweries involved in that product. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't know as though like Mercedes is calling up Chevy and is like, hey man, like your guys' brake pads are sweet. You know? Like maybe we should get together and like talk fuel injectors and we like talk, hang out. We should talk best practices yeah. with regard to airbags. Right. right. Ours. Yeah. I, so it's cool that way. And I, I, you know, I worry a little that the competition will just get greater and greater and it'll yeah, be harder to maintain that. You but. wonder if there's this inflection point. Like right now, maybe the industry is in this phase of the rising tide lifts all boats. Yes. And collaborative well, and yeah, and that's one other thing I was going to say is that, you know, right now the, the industry at large has the benefit of not unbridled growth, but a lot of growth, yeah, yeah. which like you said, lifts all, lifts all boats. It does. It helps. And there's, um, there's lots of headroom, you know, mm-hmm. the craft craft beer segment is still, I think, under 15% of the total beer market. So there's, you know, there's a lot of beer drinkers out there yet to be converted or whatever. I mean, this is just craft craft beer industry that I'm talking about. Um, but we'll see how it changes, you know. I think there's... It's, it's a little more doggy dog on the national level. Okay. You know, a lot of a lot more breweries are taking money, you know, and with that comes responsibilities that, you know, you just lose control. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that speaks to kind of the, not only the evolution of the industry, but the evolution of this business. So you guys, was it 2014 Open Doors or early 15? Well, let's see. So it's, yeah. It would have been end of March 2015 because our third year anniversary is coming up. Okay. Yeah. Advanced congrats on that. Hey, thank you. Appreciate that. I mean, so it seems like, and I'm not suggesting that operating a small business is without stress. No no way. But like, 
you walk in here on any given night and you think, these guys have arrived. Right. That's not to say that it's easy. I'm not trying yeah, yeah. to paint that picture, but you know, from an outsider's perspective, it seems like you guys have struck a chord in this community and things are generally going pretty well for the business. Yeah, they are generally going pretty well. And it's, I feel really lucky for that. I mean, we've worked really hard and we continue to work really yeah. hard, but um, I, it's actually one of the reasons why I jumped on this so hard when the, the, I felt like there was an opportunity was because I just sensed that there was an opening for it. I've lived in Missoula. I've, I've lived here. I, I moved here in 95. Right. Right. So I've lived here for a long time. I feel like I know the town really well. And I just had a sense of like, this will, this will go. And so that sense of what's going on in the community, what's ripe, etc. I mean, now that you're a going concern, how do you... You know, how do you work on your business in a way that, I mean, rather than in, you know what I mean? Like, how do you kind of, you come in here on a given night or watch trends or sort of think, okay, we've got to try to emphasize this and de-emphasize that or change this. How do you sort of figure out what's working and what's not and where you want to change or keep things fresh? It's There's so much fine-tuning to be done. Yeah. I mean, it's um, surprising to me. How's it going? You're on tape. You're on tape. Say hello, Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Is Elizabeth, you are the wine. Do we call you sommelier or what's the official title? Well, you could call me the official wine nerd. Wine nerd. That's pretty good. At the shop. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wine event. It's official. These wine tastings. We got to come back to that. Mm -hmm. We're just doing a little podcast interview. Maybe this makes the edits. Maybe it doesn't. Oh, I yeah. like it. Okay, cool. Say cool. something neat. Maybe I'll make it go. I'm speechless for once in my life. <laughs> Probably not what you want to be on podcast. <laughs> speechless. It's the one thing you have to do. <laughs> right. There's not a lot of things you I'll, have to I'll do work on that for my next impromptu. Thanks. I forget what we were talking about now. As we're talking about sort of ongoing evolution, you, know, you can do what you do better. Oh, right. sure, you get better yeah. at doing what you do, but you can also think, okay, what's next? How do we change things? How do we keep it fresh? Right. You guys are always doing cool events and yeah, rolling and that, out new ideas. There's lots of events that were obvious to me from the get-go. Yeah. Um, my idea with the business model was that we're a place where there's something for everybody, and we're going to feature all these different styles, and uh, we're going to act as a place for education yep. we're going to act as a place to uh, expose people to new things they haven't tried before mm-hmm. and to help them learn why the, the like why it's cool what the history is you know what the nuances are of production methods and all that kind of stuff and thereby like hopefully inspire people you know to to be more interested sure you know and curiosity so, sort of breeds curiosity right totally so um Style features was like an obvious one for me. We do once a month. We feature, we take a certain style and feature style, it for a week. Style of beer. Yeah, style of beer, yep. And then uh, we started that pretty early. Yeah. And yeah. took a couple whacks at it. Some things worked better than others. And we just have kind of, we, we went out a little big maybe. And then we're like, oh, that's not working so well. So okay. uh, then we kind of like scale it back, just keep it going. I think part of it is just sort of plugging away. And um, 
like I was talking about before, we have certain things that we wanted to do, right? We want to like create educational opportunities for people. We sure. want to inform. We want to get people excited, right? And so part of that is like us deciding, okay, here's what we want to do, you know, and here's why. And then part of that is, is looking at our numbers. Yeah. And yeah. looking at what, and basically, I mean, when, you, when you're looking at numbers in a place like this, we have pretty decent data, yeah. you know, uh, with our POS system. You know, so when you look at numbers, the numbers are basically just a reflection of, of what your customers want and are into. Yeah, and you've got like this awesome setting for experimentation. How many taps are over there? Yeah, we've got we've got forty one total. Forty one taps. You yeah. have all the different experiments you can run at the same time. And that kind of leads me to something I also like to talk about. So how do you manage that data? And I know you've partnered with um, some of the programs at the College of Business, particularly yeah. the Masters of Science and yeah. Business Analytics classes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with what uh, is that partnership? John Chandler. Yeah, John Chandler yeah. probably uh, He's a regular customer here. <laughs> we see him every now and again. I don't throw him under the bus completely. At least half the year when he's in town. That's right. Um, yeah, that's that's been super cool. You know, he's got his his. Uh, I mean, big data class basically. I think mm -hmm. is what we call it, and uh, we give him we give him backend access to all of our sales data, mm -hmm. and he uh, separates his class into small teams and. They each will, you know, we'll come up with like two or three sort of big questions and then he'll allow them to develop their own approach and, and he'll kind of guide them. And then, uh, you know, at the end of the semester, they'll do a presentation for us. Sure. And it's like super, yeah. you know, because it's all the stuff that I would do if I had the time to do it. Right. right. You know, and I don't. And I like in my mind, I do. But like the reality is, is that when you showed up today, I was fixing a sink, exactly. you know, instead of like nerding out on a spreadsheet. Yeah. So, you know, so it's awesome. So we get all this great information and then we can base our decisions on it. And, um, you know, honestly, the majority of it, we already sort of know on a gut level or on like just looking, taking a big picture, look at the numbers. But then there's like lots of surprises. Yeah. Where are the surprises? You know? Like what have you learned that's changed the way you do things or that you didn't you know, one thing I would say is that like events have been productive yeah, okay. for us, you know, in ways that like maybe from just, I mean, the outside, it doesn't quite, it seems like, oh yeah, they're, they're like fairly successful and people seem to enjoy them. Um, you know, but then when you compile the numbers, you're like, oh yeah, actually they're, you know, worth the work <laughs> because there are a lot of work to put on. A lot of them are. And, yeah. Like uh, you do after hours wine tastings or yep, special yep. reserve events or all sorts of things. Yeah, we do all kinds of events um, and promotions a few nights a week, yeah. you know, um, and, and you know, a lot of them are, are, are successful and they're, because sometimes in the back of your mind, you're like, oh my God, these events are so much work. They are. Are we really getting anything out of it? Right. You know, right. are we, and it, you know, it's easy to feel like maybe not. <laughs> You know, maybe we're just like beating our head against the wall and people would be just as happy to come in here and relax and have there be like, you know, no, no big thing going on. Um, and then, you know, you have be able to partner with awesome people who look at your numbers and they're like, oh man, like, you're, yeah, you're doing it. Like, and they're probably, you know, the, the events themselves are successful, but also the spillover effects. I mean, it's not just the effect of the event during that time period. And that's one thing I've always, yeah, I've always 
uh, sort of preach that is like even especially with our tastings and style features and educational stuff is like that's okay we want to make money doing it right obviously but it's also about positioning right it's about defining who we are as a business and how we want to be perceived by people and how um we think we can help long term yeah like maintain and that goes back also to what i was saying about our model and about being unique and about how i was inspired to do this because i thought we could be unique like all of that stuff like is the same idea right so we're gonna we're gonna push this stuff even if it doesn't work you know Mm -hmm. our first beer week i think i spent 500 bucks on custom glassware and I had this whole like idea of, like okay like it's going to be the week so like you come in and you like pay this big amount and you like get the glass and then you can sure. like sample all the different examples of the same style with the glass and the glass the, the, the type of glassware matches the style of beer to enhance the flavors and, and like nobody bought a glass you know and I was like oh man okay alright maybe next month we don't do the glassware but we'll still do the you know we'll still do the beers and so we've tweaked it around the edges, but we do get to occupy that unique space. Like, you know, we get to do uh, collaborations on beers, like with local breweries. Yeah. You know, I remember talking to my brother who works at Great Burn. And the first one we did, I think, was with, it was either with Big Sky or Draftworks. So we do, we have a cask program, right? Where we bring in a cask every week. Uh-huh. And um, we got a hold of him and I was like, hey, how about... We bring the team out there. We'll work on a recipe together. You can bring them into the brewery, show them around. You know, a lot of our employees have not spent time in a brew house or in a brewery cellar situation. Um, so it's really cool for them. And then we collaborate on the beer, the adjuncts we're going to put in there, you know. Sure. And then we pour it here, right? And I was like, yeah, like, that's awesome. Why wouldn't we do that? Yeah, you know? And then I remember my brother, Colin, being like, I, was, I think I was telling him about it. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of like a neat thing. He's like, neat. He's like, nobody's doing that. He's like, that's like a thing, man. Yeah, like yeah. nobody's ever done that before, really. I mean, at least around here, you know, or whatever. Sure. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, you're right. Like, that's really cool. So like I was saying before, like we're customers, but we're also partners, but we're also competitors, but we're also, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know. I mean, yeah. you're just, like you said before, it's a project of passion. And I think that is the, you, you, you marry that with, creative spirit right right it's a business that's constantly fresh and evolving it's fun to to watch yeah and and you know we do get to rotate through so many things there are so many products available you know that it's like always fresh yeah you know and we just put on a a shrub from a new business in missoula right so what's a shrub tell us about that a shrub is a I'm kind of new to shrubs myself. They're like an old American vinegar-based fruit drink. Okay, so someplace in the related to a, at least taste-wise, slightly to a kombucha style. Flavor profile, similar. Sort of nice, yeah. is that right? Oh, here, I've, oh, I've just been delivered. We'll see how I did. This right, is the right. official definition. The wine nerd just delivered the official yeah. definition. She's now also the shrub nerd. Does that, is that signed? Sit right next to the tap. So well, I put it up there so that our employees who are maybe even 
as familiar with me wouldn't know what to right. say. When somebody asks them a tough question, you know, hard hitting journalism. Yeah, um, shrubbery. Sorry. Shrubs are old fashioned fruit based drinking vinegars. Okay. All right. So, you know, the, these ones are raw fruit, raw honey, apple cider vinegar, yeah. and water. Now, he, the company is called Shivlight, and he just started up. Um, he does like uh, co- bottled concentrates. So you can mix them up at home with um, sparkling water. Okay. A lot of people use them for cocktails. Yep. Yep. Um, and then he gets us like a pre-mixed. Sure. It's not alcoholic. Right? Yeah. What a great chance yeah, yeah. for him to get his brand and product yeah. out there. And again, yeah. you're like the point of education for many customers. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's fun, right? It seems like that rising tide we referenced earlier. Um, either you guys have figured out a way to, to ride that wave better than others or it lifts the dream shop just so much more. I don't know. I attribute it to the dogs. They're so sweet. They're good partners here. I've been yeah. uh, Lily, right? Lily, yeah. Right mm-hmm. on. Uh, so, Zach, I mean, we could go on and on. There's so much cool about your business and what you guys do. And I, I really appreciate your, one, your, the generous generosity with your time this morning, but also your continued willingness to partner with college of business and give our students cool opportunities to advance their skill sets and contribute. Um, as we close, there's a question I, I try to ask uh, folks who come on the podcast, and that is, why Missoula? Why Missoula? Yeah. I, you know, I have been here a long time. I love it here, honestly. I've traveled relatively extensively, and, you know, there are places that maybe have better amenities uh, in different arenas. You can go to a bigger city and have sure. pro sports teams, or, you know, you can go to Jackson and have better access to mountains but you don't there's no communities like this out there yeah and you marry that with the recreational opportunities and uh yeah for me it's the spot man awesome I, yeah Missoula hasn't been able to shake me yet they've tried uh, it's well, not the easiest place to make it you gotta get creative it seems like you're here to stay so let's close with a uh, a dram shop toast over the mic yeah cheers thanks a lot zach yeah cheers All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Zach as much as I enjoyed talking to him. He's really a really fun guy and their their business has really, really added a lot to the Missoula community. Coming up next week, we have a group of students who are the founding members of Switchback Records. Switchback Records is a student-run record label here at the University of Montana College of Business. Uh, Their faculty advisor, uh, Professor Mike Morelli, is in on the interview as well. It was really cool to get this many students involved in the pod and to talk about some really exciting news they have coming up. They're going to drop their first album on April 13th. And that's a big deal for them to produce an album. It's a bunch of covers of Elvis songs. I don't know how they got access to Elvis's catalog. Actually, that's an, that's a, uh, a cool part of the story we'll be telling next week on the podcast. So hope to, uh, hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. Remember that A New Angle was brought to you by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. They're our first sponsor, and we can't thank them enough. CED is one of the largest electrical wholesale supply companies in the country with nearly 600 locations nationwide. CED is a privately owned business-to-business company that distributes just about every piece of equipment you need to keep your lights on, your energy flowing, and your lifestyle comfortable. CED is also an important employer in our community, and they have a keen interest in University of Montana graduates. To explore career opportunities, check out www.cedcareers.com. 
Moving forward, if you have any suggestions for guests, cool people doing awesome things, please let us know. And if you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways you can support it. First, rate us on iTunes. Ratings help others find the show. Second, write a review. The more reviews we get, and hopefully positive ones, the more we can grow. And third, please just tell your friends about it. In addition, you can also support A New Angle financially. For information on sponsorship opportunities, please visit our website, www.business.umt.edu slash a new angle. There you will also find a link to support the pod. Before we go, I'd like to thank a few folks for making this project happen. First, my colleagues at the College of Business for supporting this endeavor. In particular, Professor Josh Herbold for writing and recording original music for the show. We also have music provided by Switchback Records, a student-run record label here at the college. I'd also like to thank Elizabeth Willie, recent UM graduate Michelle DeFluke, and the entire comms team here at the College of Business. And finally, thanks to my producer, Stefan Borsom. As we close, if you have any suggestions, comments, questions, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.